You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome to Earth Station One, a weekly podcast dedicated to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and much, much more. Sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. That's right, listeners. We're back. And this time we are going to be looking at the new Bill and Ted movie that came out. Bill and Ted Face the Music. That's right. After almost 30 years, Bill and Ted are back on our screens. And it's just amazing, you know, that you could come back to things that you love and things that you just haven't seen for so long. So we all sat around, watched it. it. You know, we were planning on going to see it at the movies, but, you know, a little certain something came up and, you know, we had to end up watching it all on TV because, you know, that's just life the way things are. It's almost like it, that's the new normal. So we're all going to talk about Bill and Ted and we got a lot of little surprises coming up in the show for you. So we'll get started and let me introduce my time traveling friend, Mr. Mike Gordon. Howdy. How are you, my friend? I am Peachy Keen. I am excited for this show. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a good one. I think we've got a lot to talk about. we got a lot of people stopping by. So I think we're going to be, you know, exploring a lot of things this week. And we definitely would love to hear from our listeners at home. If you definitely would like to get back to us and write us, please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com. We definitely would love to hear what you have to say about Bill and Ted, what we have a special guest with us joining us very shortly. And, you know, we just like talking to you guys. So please write us. We definitely would love to hear from you guys. We also want to do a big shout out to our patrons. That's right. We got a lot of different patrons right now with us. And we like, you know, mentioning their names up on the air sometimes. So let's say hey to Dave Slaughter. He is a wonderful supporter of the ESO Network and Earth Station One. You could find all the cool kind of stuff you could find at our Patreon. And for as little as 25 cents a week, you could help support the ESO Network. All you have to do is go to patreon.com slash ESO Network and you get exclusive material only found up to the Patreons. Thanks, Dave. Pretty awesome. Thanks, Dave. We appreciate it. Of course, we want to also thank our sponsor for this episode. Let's thank Tafosi Optics. That's right. Our friends at Tafosi Optical is doing something really special for the month of September. Anytime you buy a pair of sunglasses from Tafosi Optics, they will donate for every pair of sunglasses, not every order, but every pair of sunglasses that are purchased. They're going to be donating a face mask to either a librarian, a teacher, or a first responder. That's pretty darn awesome. And you could help support them. All you have to do is go to tofosioptics.com, find some really cool sunglasses as low as $20 a piece, not too shabby. And if you go up and put your coupon in there and say ESO Network, you get another 10% off and you're helping teachers and first responders and even librarians and all these people who are working, have to be out there in the public right now. You get, they're going to be getting their face masks and not just the little face mask covering their mouth, the face shields, which is pretty awesome. Thank you, Tafosi Optics, for doing that. And all you have to do is go to tofosioptics.com. All right. We told you we have a very special guest with us this week. We want to welcome to the show. You've seen this man on hundreds of TV shows, movies everywhere. You probably say, I know this guy. Let's welcome Larry Hankin to the show. Larry, thank you for joining us tonight. Well, how you doing? I'm 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 fine. Thank you for having me. That's uh, 
Seems, sounds sounds like it's going to be okay. Yeah, I'm hoping it's going to be okay. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the station. <laughs> Thank you very much. And I love all that stuff you got behind you. Have you ever shown what you have behind you? It's uh, yeah, just we, uh, an amazing... Well, both of you, as a matter of fact. <laughs> Whoa! I can't match that. I just... That gives a I, space. I don't that's know. Cool. We're looking behind you at that artwork that you've done, and that's pretty spectacular. Yeah. Well, you can get it at their T-shirts. Their, their, their paintings and their T-shirts all at the same time. Awesome. Uh, that is awesome. That is cool. Because, yeah, I was actually looking at your website you know not just you know i would say like go to your imdb and see everything but you also have a, a website selling your artwork it is beautiful look at that <laughs> okay that's that's it that's that's the whole that's the whole kit and caboodle. there's 24 more there you go there you go 24 uh, more on the website and that's it okay all right cool I, I definitely want to talk about some of the acting highlights that you have but before we do that my understanding is uh, doing the little bit of research that i did um was uh you did you start off as a stand-up yeah that's my first love i i, I consider myself a stand-up comedian i'm i'm i don't consider myself a an actor i mean i can act mm-hmm. i mean i i pretend i'm a pretender is what i am <laughs> uh i pretend to be certain people but but i'm really a stand-up comedian and i think i mean you know a lot of people are born doing it. They say, yeah, I was born doing it. Well, I think I was born a born storyteller. Is, is, I've been thinking about it a lot because I do, I've been being interviewed a lot lately and I have to come up with a definition of myself. So I'm a storyteller, but stand-up comedian, yeah, I just loved it. I mean, it's one-to-one, it's on a stage, it's live, there's real people there. If, you, if they ain't laughing, you ain't working. <laughs> it's real simple. It's... I had noticed that you also had done improv quite a bit also. Well, that that's just my second love. And then everything else goes just below that painting. In other words, stand-up comedy, improvising with the second city or with the committee. And I, I've been, you know, when I was improvising with, with second city and then later a group of us just took off from second city and went to San Francisco and started the committee. They were very successful uh, shows the improv in both cities, but there's a, there was at the time in the sixties, seventies, eighties, and then when digital came, it kind of started to fade. But um, they were very successful. But then a lot of companies started to happen about improv uh, in, in LA. There was two or three companies, um, mm-hmm. and uh, the so I was doing guest spots in each one of the companies. You know. And Second City and the committee was my first love. The others were, they were okay, but there was something about Second City. It was the the passion and the focus of those two companies, uh, each in a little different way because they had different, you know, personnel were involved and different directors and owners. But but in in the Second City, I mean, they, yeah, Second City and the committee, uh, were my favorites because I don't know. I think I did my best work there and, and stand up, but stand up. I couldn't, I couldn't take the heat. So I got out of the kitchen. I mean, I was doing, uh, my, my favorite was Myron Cohn and Lenny Bruce and the combination of those two. I don't know if you know oh, Myron sure. Cohn, 
Mm-hmm. But uh, uh-huh. he was a storyteller. He he would tell these long involved. They were they were actually jokes, which he just stretched out into these just beautiful stories that were just funny. And he was deadpan, man. When he did like the Ed Sullivan show, I mean, I was a little kid. Milton Berle and and Myron Cohn. That was mm-hmm. my, you know I grew up with. But Myron Cohn, they would always get a close up of him because. It was his face, you know, he would do like 10 minutes on the Ed Sullivan show, whatever. And it was one story for 10 minutes and you were just riveted on his story and him, you know, but he was deadpan. So, cause you didn't know when, where the joke was coming. And when you did laugh, he didn't, he didn't cop to it. That was, that was the great thing about Myron Cohen and all the great ones. I think all the great ones when, you know, when a joke is coming, they don't, you, you don't know it, and then they just hit you with it, and they just keep on going. It was just, they were masters at their craft. Lenny was like that, and, and and Richie and George Carlin, but in a different way. But So I was doing like them, but in the early 60s, you paid for it uh, with the uh, police and fines and uh, and worse, like Lenny. So I, I couldn't take the cops pulling me off the stage. I mean, literally, they were policemen were coming on the stage and taking me off the stage and that that good oh it's just gonna say they kind of represented that recently in mrs mazel when they've been portraying lenny bruce up there and everything really i gotta watch that i i don't know any i don't watch much television so but i hear people tell me i gotta go watch that show because that's that era and lenny really he's he's an influencer for this character wow. holy and, cow. nobody ever and told he's me portrayed really really well because it's the era when he was in the suit and not the you know when he right he was doing a steve allen show exactly <laughs> yeah. exactly and so it was it was really awesome to see and um bet, Mrs. Mazel man. i mean you and I'm everything just stoked and, uh, can we cut this off i gotta go watch mrs <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We'll, we'll pick up after you watch all three three seasons of it. Okay, I, I, That's you know, I, I've you know I I've dipped my toe into some performances, but uh, stand up is takes takes a whole set of bravery, and I think. And back when when you were doing it with Carlin and and I think Woody Allen was around that time, right? Uh, Woody, well, I used to open for Woody. I used to open for Woody. Yeah, I mean, we I mean, had the same manager, you know, and then but. I was just about to go from Woody Allen type of stuff, you know, just talking about, you know, small things that happened to me during my day to then I started to get into Lenny Bruce, but our manager, Jack Rollins, you know, he thought, well, oh, this is great. These, these, you know, Larry can open for Woody and they can just go up. And then Woody started to do uh, the Ed Sullivan show and, and not me. And I start to complain, hey, man, you know, I'm working for Woody and you got Woody on TV. You got him on the Ed Sullivan show. And now he's opening for the you know big hotels now. He was starting to become Woody Allen. And well, mm-hmm. what about me? And he goes, Larry, you don't have any television material. And I go, what the hell is television material? He says, wow. well, you can't stay and you can't smoke marijuana and you can't, you know, talk about drugs and, and, and breasts and, 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 and you can't do that, man. And I, well, I don't care. So I was opening for rock acts and, uh, and, and Miles Davis and, and I could do that. So the audiences were either really for me and great, you know, and I could just really do what was ever in my head and what was going on in the world, which was drugs and sex and rock and roll. 
Or they were, you know, they would come at me with beer bottles upside down in their fist. Get the stage, man. Bring on the Kingston Trio. <laughs> Whoa, not, okay, not my audience. Not my no, audience. No, definitely not. Cool. Uh, so, yeah, so I called Jack. I said, look, I can't. I'm a, I'm a middle-class Jewish kid. You know, these guys, like, you know, Richie and Lenny and George, they all had fire in their bellies. I mean, they they were serious, man. They were serious comics. They were really and that wasn't serious. I was just having fun, you know. Unfortunately, you know, my fun was uh, you had to have fire in your belly to keep, continue to make a living at it. So I just uh, called Jack. I said, no, nah, man, I just I can't. The guy just came at me with a beer bottle as opposed to 10 cops, which I was pulled off the stage in Washington, D.C. 10 policemen, both sides of the aisle. I was doing a, an arena, like for the 11th Spoonful. Cops came oh, up wow. the aisle and pulled me off. The, yeah, I was doing arena shows. But the cops came up and pulled me off. And, and that was one thing because the cops, they really didn't, the, the dean of the school had called the cops. He was in the back there and he was saying, oh, this guy's cursing. Uh, filthy mouth comedian was the report. There was a filthy mouth comedian on the stage. Get him off there. So they showed up and they didn't, they didn't care, the policemen. And they just came up and they said, all right, let's off the stage. And they just very gently took me by both arms and, escorted me up there you know they didn't they had no attitude at the time i'm sure the crowd went crazy well oh the well well, no the no here's the weird thing the 11 spoonful backstage say no keep talking keep talking because they wanted to riot the kids in the audience (laughs) this is washington yeah they wanted the publicity but the the kids in the audience which was the washington university you know the the students Mm -hmm. So I sure. thought it was cool. This is my audience, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. They came to see the Love and Smoothful. But no, they were booing and they were pulling the, uh, the wooden armrests off the, uh, off, off the seats. And they were wow. throwing them at me, really? not even bottles, these wooden things. And I'm back and I'm going, what are you doing? You're, yeah, I, I was trying to talk to them saying, no, I thought you're students, you're <laughs> drugs and rock and roll. Why are you doing this? And then the cops mm-hmm. came up and took me off. That was one thing. I wasn't hurt. I just stood backstage. I said, why are you holding me here? Because they weren't doing anything. They were just standing there. And I said, why, why are we here? What, what's going, what's next? I don't understand. And they said, we have to guard you. So until the loving spoonful gets set up and starts playing, because I was pulled off in the middle of my act. They weren't even ready to go on. Uh, until I set up and playing so you don't run out and start your act again. So we have to guard you. So oh, all wow. they would guard. Yeah. I mean, but they were just standing around. I mean, they weren't like holding me, you know, it was still in the beginning of the sixties. They hadn't gotten rough around 66 was when Dobermans, the, the, the hippies had the Dobermans, but that's when right, the Dobermans course. and the pig and the cops were pigs. That's, but I was out by then. Because I called Jack and I said, I can't do this, man. The, the other night, a guy came across a nightclub stage because uh, the Kingston Trio was opening in a nightclub. So there was just just one guy across a dance floor, you know, bare, empty. And I was the stand-up. And he comes out of the darkness. And he he had yelled, get off the stage. We're on the Kingston Trio. And I just ignored him. You know, ah, hey, man, this is not an arena. You know, I'm... I'm and then out of the darkness comes this, which is this uh, starker, as Lenny would say, <laughs> this starker came out on in a suit with a beer bottle upside down in his uh, fist. And he said, go up the stage and bring on a Kingston trio. 
And I go find man, and I just same thing. You took off. You don't. You don't. Oh, argue I sat with at the bar. Oh. I sat at the bar, oh, okay. and the bartender comes over to me. Goes, "What are you doing? What are you doing? You got ten more minutes." I go, "Did you see that guy come at me with a beer bottle, man? He's going to hit me." He says, yeah, yeah, but you got 10 more minutes. Kingston Tree ain't ready. Get back out there. I said, I'm not getting out there until you kick that guy out, man. He's going to hit me. He said, you got 10 minutes or you're not getting paid. And I said, if you don't kick him out, I'm not going on stage. He said, you're fired. I said, fine. I just walked out of the club. Wow. And that was it. That was, it was over. Um, and I called Jack. And I said, I, I'm a middle-class Jewish kid. No. And he said, well, join Second City. They're doing the same stuff as Lenny, but they own the theater. They'll throw the guy out. So, you, you know, you're safe. Besides, the stages are like, uh, what was it? Like four feet high. Whereas, uh, you know, in a nightclub, the, the, the stage is only it's that like high. That. Yeah. You know, it's <laughs> of course. <laughs> so he said, there's four other people on, five other people on a stage with you at Second City. Plus, the stage is about four feet high. So I'll have trouble coming up and hitting you. So you're safe. So I said, okay. So I auditioned and I, I got into Second City and that kind of started me aiming towards be, being an actor because then we broke off, went to San Francisco, started the committee. And then the weird thing about that was, which we didn't know about, but we were successful, say for like two years and we just loved doing it. We were, And we were all getting pay raises and stuff and it was packed every night. And we, we were, you know, compared to Second City in Chicago. But the, the uh, what is it called? Benefit, the benefit, the Zen benefit of being, you know, big in San Francisco was all the heavy hitters, the, you know, the green light people and all the stars and everything. They couldn't fly to Second City because they were really famous because it was a lot of money and it was a big deal and it was a flight and hours and it was two, you know, it was two days or it was a weekend. But they could fly up to San Francisco in the 60s round trip for 35 bucks. Oh, wow. So, you know, and they could sleep in their own beds the, the, that, that night. You know, you see the, the first show, you know, spend uh, uh, like, you know, the afternoon in San Francisco, seeing the bridge <laughs> and Alcatraz. And then they go see, you know, a hit show. But these are all the people that if we went down and when we went down to audition, we couldn't get in to see. But they would fly up to see us. So we were in the best show, you know, possible venue that we could be in to show our stuff. So we were getting a lot of jobs just by being in San Francisco. And if we flew down to L.A., nobody would see us. You know, no, no, sorry, he's busy. You know, it'd take three weeks to get in. So that was like a benefit that we didn't realize. And finally, they, they bought us out. Basically, they were paying. It was more. It was more, it was, you would make more money by working for two days and be out of work for a month than it was to work for a month in, 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 in the committee in, in San Francisco. So everybody would go down there and just get an agent out of the one shot, you know, or mm-hmm. one or two shots that they did. And they would just stay down. They would move. So we were losing all these really great people. And I was the last to go. Finally, um, everybody in my company left. And I was in the second in the second company, but these were people who weren't from Second City and they weren't from New York. They were from San Francisco, so they weren't as uh, they were they weren't as well rehearsed or well informed as actors or impro- improvisers. So I was directing them basically. I was left to I was taken off the stage and I was directing the second and the third iteration of the committee. 
And I just got bored because, um, frankly, I, I just wanted to be on stage, you know. And when I got an interview about one of the, the shows were reviewed, and I got a good review. So they mm-hmm. interviewed me not as an actor, but as a director. And they said, what's the difference between being an actor and a director in improv, you know? And I said, well, as a director, you just got five people between you and the audience. I mean, as a director, you, 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 you can't direct an improv company. They're, they're making it up. There's no script that you can say, Hey, you know, you yesterday, you said this too bad, you know, I'm just improvising. Uh, but you generally, it, it settles in and, and you just get something that you're comfortable with and then you keep it. And then they put it in the show and then it's set. Were you there when How- like Howard Hesman was with the troop? That was my you? company. I was with uh, yeah. Howard Hesman and, uh, Carl Gottlieb, who wrote Jaws, he was in my company. Well, I went to school with him. I mean, uh, we go way back. I mean, we're, we're buddies. Oh, wow. We're still buddies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Carl, uh, Barbara Boson from uh, uh, the cop show that uh, uh, L.A. LA P- police or blue or something. Yeah. Barbara mm-hmm. Boson. She married oh, yeah. the, the guy who was the writer of it. Uh, uh, so, yeah, but there was a lot of people. Uh, Mel Stewart was in my company, too. He he became a big, uh, uh, he was a black American. He became a big TV star. Uh, at, uh, he was on some cop show, something like that. But I, I didn't want to go down there. I, I You know, I thought it was all face acting. I, you know, I wanted to improvise. You know, I didn't want face <laughs> acting. Like, uh, yeah, what was it? D.W. Griffith said, you know. Oh, his, his producer, D.W. Griffith invented the close-up. There were no close-ups. That's true. Before D.W. Griffith, it was all, and and when the producer and when he because uh, there was a woman crying in one of the scenes, you know, her son died or something. Especially she was crying, and because he was so far back, and you see, you know, the the foot to the head, you've got, uh, and piece of the ceiling even on the floor. So he wanted to go in. He said, "I can't see it." So he went in close, not to do a close up. He, he wasn't trying to invent anything. He just wanted to see her crying. He wanted to see the tears. So he went in close and the producers wanted him to cut that out. And he get, when he asked why, he said, no, because I want to see the, she's crying. I want to see that. And the producer says, the people are paying a nickel to see a whole actor. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, you're cutting up prices. Look at a, a penny. I'm only seeing a face. That's two cents. Screw you. <laughs> really? That was what's going on. I Absolutely. Mean, Holy cow, man. But, you know, so we had to fight it. I mean, hey, something new. You got to you got to have a fire in the belly. You got to want it. You got to want it. Hey, Larry, I want to I want to talk to a little bit about your film career as well. I mean, you work with some great directors, uh, Don Siegel, John Huston, Gary Marshall. Like, I mean, some really great. And that's just to name a few. Are there any in particular stories that you have working with those guys? I'll give you a. The ones that are my favorites of all time. Yeah, please. John Houston, forget about it. <laughs> Just, he's, he, if, I know there isn't a God, but if there was a God. He would sound like John Houston, right? <laughs> John Houston. That guy's oh, unbelievable. voice was amazing. Oh, man, no. Well, yes. But yes, and yes, and always improv. Oh, of course. But but yes, and no fighting on stage. Uh, So, uh, but here's here's I'll give you an example. This is my this is my favorite show business story. But it's John Huston. 
first of all, uh, there's three parts to it. Uh, the, the audition. So I was, I was really stoked that I was going to audition for John Hughes. It was for Annie, for yep. the movie Annie. He was yep. directing musical. the musical of yep. uh, the, the what musical? I think it's his only musical, right? His first well, his only musical, first, yes. First and, 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 he, <laughs> and only because he hated it. And yeah. I'll give you why. Wow. But, so, oh man, yeah. So, and I was part of his getting back at the producers. So, so I, when I auditioned, um, you know, I was stoked because it was John Houston and I really wanted to work for him. I didn't care what I did. It was, a, it was a little cameo part. It was really nice and I loved it. I didn't have to memorize a lot of lines because I'm dyslexic. I have a really hard time memorizing. But if you give me the script, you know, far enough in advance, I always get it far enough in advance so that I'm okay. So I, I go through the audition and he was directing already. So it was already had started directing. So uh, it was on a sound stage, and he's watching brushes on a TV screen, you know, and then a TV, what do you call it, the TV city or something like that, video city. So he's watching rushes, and then, uh, so she takes me in, this uh, casting director, and she holds me behind my back. She gets behind my back, and she's wheeling me in, like to him, holding me right in front of him. And he's sitting in his director's chair, and he, he turns as he's pushing me towards him. So he goes... What are you doing? What are you doing? You know, that voice, what are you doing? What are you doing? How would you say that? And he, she goes, oh, I'm just adjusting him so you can see him. And he goes, don't touch my actors, please. She says, no, no. Oh, I'm sorry. He says, thank you. And he didn't say it with any kind of pleasure. I mean, he was really pissed at her. Right. So that, that was a, that was a thank you. Yeah, thank you. But So, so I thought, wow, he's sticking up for me. So that was my first shot of John Houston. He was sticking up for me and nobody. And then he goes, uh, so she stepped away. And then he goes, so Larry, um, do you know why you're here for the, for the dog catcher, right? He knew my name. He didn't look it up or anything like that. So no papers around. So that was, so right away I'm impressed. I mean, anything the man did, you know, if he sure. sneezed and blew his nose. Wow, man, he blew his nose in front of me, me, nobody. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, that's he how me. stoked he really I was. Yes. Yeah. yes. <laughs> a private moment with the man. So um, they says, you know what, what's going on? And then she goes behind me. He says, you know, it's for the dog catcher. And I go, yeah. And she takes my hair and she lifts it up because I was a hippie. My hair was down to here. Yeah. So she lifts it up. And he goes, what are you doing? Again, he's just very excited. <laughs> what are you doing? What are you doing? And he says, well, I'm pulling his hair back so you can see because he has to have a haircut. Please, please don't touch the actors. I'm a director. I have an imagination. I can see what he would look like with a haircut. I can imagine it. <laughs> don't touch my actors, please. So she, now she's free. And now this is a very important woman. I mean, it's John Houston. So the casting director is going to be a big deal. So, mm -hmm. but he's just, come on, get away. So I thought, okay. And then, so he says to me, so Larry, do you know what the part's about? I go, yeah, it's a couple of lines, you know, and you have to cut your hair. Yeah. You, you okay with that? Yeah. So, okay, fine. Thank you very much, Larry. So that was it. That was the whole thing. Boom. Goodbye. Done. Uh, about three days later, I get the call. You got the job. Oh, great. So now I go in. Now the first thing I do, just as a matter of course, anything big, small, TV, movies, whatever, you're getting five bucks a day. You're getting $5,000 a day. It doesn't matter. 
I go to where the costume is. That's what I do. Because if the costume is in your dressing room and the, and the AD is saying, you know, oh, you're Larry Hinkin, right? Okay, your dressing room is right there. I go, wait a minute, is my costume in the dressing room? They either say yes or no. If the costume is in the dressing room, fait accompli. Just go in there, put it on. It's over. That's what you're wearing. But if he says, no, it's not in there yet, I got a shot at giving my input to the costume. Where is the costume? It's in the costume department still. Boom, I'm going. Where's the costume department? And that's where I go on any set. That's how it works for Larry Hankin. So I, go, so I go to the costume and I say, hey, I'm Larry Hankin. I'm playing the dog catcher. Is my costume around or where, where you know, have they picked it yet? He said, no, your costume is over on the rack. And generally they pick out like three or four, you know, shirts, pants, boots, shoes, whatever. And then they make the final selection from there on this rack. And they allow you to go there and they, you can look at it, you know, maybe if you got something favorite. So now you have a shot. So I'm going through it. I'm going, ah, well, and I see this guy standing next to me. I go, oh, and he goes, what are you doing here? I mean, every, you know, other than John Houston, everybody's got an attitude. <laughs> now, there was a reason for it because every time somebody would have something to do with the movie that wasn't a, a casting director, John Houston, or the costume designer, which this guy was, uh, no, no, the costume designer said, no, no, he was an assistant. But they always said to me, uh, you really like, you, you really want to work with John Houston, don't you? You know, cause I guess I was kind of happy about the whole thing. But they all said that to me. And I go, yeah. And they all said the same thing. He said, well, I think he's got Alzheimer's because he doesn't know what's going on. So they were warning me. They were warning me about John. They were saying, you know, he's not there. He's addled or he's hmm. he's got Alzheimer's. And so I go, oh, and I was getting depressed now because, oh, man, you know, this great man. And now I'm, I'm getting him when he's burned out. Okay, but whatever. So I was convinced he had Alzheimer's. That's, you know. So, I, yeah, but he was sticking up for me at the audition. I don't understand. He didn't see. Well, okay, I guess they know. They've been working with him for weeks. So I pick. I saw it. Well, and he says, what are you doing? I said, oh, I'm the, I'm the, uh, I'm the dog catcher. So I'm looking at my costume. He says, I have your costume. It's already done. I go, oh, well, okay. You know, what is it? And he hands it to me and it's a platter. It looked like a, a platter of, of cardboard, of like for a cardboard box. It was like about that thick. It was 15 inches square. It was cloth, but it was folded. It was washed, folded, pressed, and starched down. So, you know, starch. My father used to get his white shirts so I used to he I, I used to say can I unstarch it can I peel it is what I used to say because you know you go you would peel it up and you would stick your hand in it it was all starched mm. and stuff well that's what this was it was just pasted together like a platter of cardboard so I just went you know I give me it you know I, I can't I hand it back I said I can't wear this he goes why not I said well it's starched and it's folded and it's creased and it's 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 clean, and I'm a dog catcher, and it's 1930, and I'm carrying around dogs. It's got to be filthy. And he said, "Well, this is what you're wearing," and I'm I'm not wearing it. And I, I just you know I have an attitude. Pro- oh, I had. I'm grown up now. Um, <laughs> but I had. 
But I, I had an attitude problem. Uh, all through the 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s, man, you couldn't come near me if you gave me bull. I'd give it right back to you. I don't care who you are. Because I was a stand-up comedian and a storyteller, not an actor. That's what I believed in my heart of hearts. So it didn't count what you're telling me about do it this way. I'm not an actor, so it doesn't apply. You want to fire me? Fine. I'm a stand-up comedian. I shouldn't even be here. So um, so he goes, all right, if you don't, yeah. But that's really how it was. And I didn't. I couldn't stop myself. It was something that was, it was a conditioned reflex, the attitude. If you gave me guff, I was, you know, it's, it's like these weirdos, you know, it's like these bald guys in England, you know, the, the rockers and the, sh- I don't know what they were called. But anyway, so he said, you're putting this on anyone. I said, I'm not doing it, man. It's got to be filthy. She says, we're going to see Mr. Houston then. I said, let's go, man. Because now I'm thinking he's my friend. <laughs> he's, he's sticking up for me. So let's go. That's what I had in my, my head. So he says, okay, let's go. So we go outside. Now they were shooting outside now. So the last night, uh, last night it had rained that night, but it's sunny out, skies are blue, but there are big puddles just all over. But you know, there's places where it's dry. And there's same thing. There's John Houston and he's looking at his rushes. He's sitting on his director's chair. And uh, he, he, I don't know, for some reason he turned around, he saw us coming. And the first thing he said was, he goes, what seems to be the trouble, Charles? He started coming. That was Charles. He goes, what seems to be the trouble, Charles? Charles comes up to him, can just platter? And he goes, this actor, he come up to me, and he says, this actor. John Houston turns to me, he says, what seems to be the problem, Larry? And he says, <laughs> Says Charles continues, this actor will not put on his costume. Is that is that right, Larry? Yeah, man. Okay, okay, okay. Why is that? Well, man, because you know, I mean, I'm I'm a, I'm a dog catcher, and I just do the same thing I did to him. I mean, it, now he's not John Houston. Now it's just somebody else that I'm plying my plight to. And I'm going, you know, and, and it's got to be dirty, man. And he's giving me, look, it starts. You can look, you know, see that? I mean, and I'm going on. And John is just listening to me. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And he lets me finish. He says, I don't think he said, are you through? But, you know, he kind of gave me that look. You know. <laughs> right. And I go, uh-huh. okay. And he turns to Charles and he goes, uh, would you give me the costume, Charles? So Charles gives him the platter and like this in his hand, like this. And, and John Houston gets up out of his director's chair and he starts walking away. And he's got these really, I just noticed that. I hadn't noticed it before. But he's got these really handmade Italian shoes, very expensive, very cool, very cool shoes. But he starts walking away and he walks over to the biggest, nearest puddle that he can find. And with his Italian shoes, he walks into the middle of it, you know, and it was about that deep. You know, well, no, it was about that deep. Didn't come over his shoes, but his soles were underwater and he walks into the middle of the puddle and he goes and he opens it and he shakes it out and he holds it out like this and he drops it into the puddle and then he walks on it he goes walks all over and he steps on it makes it all underwater and then very delicately with these two fingers he picks it up at arm's length and he you know he walks and very carefully walks over to charles you know and he says charles 
here, here, Charles. And Charles takes it. He doesn't know what to do with it. He says, okay. And John Houston says, dry this off and put it on this actor. Thank you, Charles. Thank you, Larry. Looking <laughs> he's done. Wow, he's he done with you. <laughs> that is awesome. Cool, man. <laughs> it's like Whoa. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Oh man, you can't get better than that. No, I'm sorry. That is awesome, man. Yeah. Now, okay. Now, when I when I tell up until yesterday, as a matter of fact, mm-hmm. now I've been telling that story since I made the movie. You know, so you know, I'm not. Not a, not for pay. I mean, just if anybody asked me, you know, you got any favorite directors, I would tell them that story, you know, because I just love it and I love John Houston, Mr. Houston. Okay. But a couple of days ago, I was listening for the first time ever a recording of me telling that story. Oh, wow. now, I never heard me telling the story. So I listened to it and I heard something that I never realized before which I coupled with another thing. Remember I said he really didn't want to do it, that movie, he hated it? Yeah, yeah. Well, a couple of days ago, I found out what the deal was and why he didn't want to be there. This is a man, John Houston, who directed Treasure of Sierra Madre, among other things. I'll okay? talking. Okay? Now, oh, yeah. now, if you, now, if you know that movie... Those three guys, you know, Bogart and the two other guys, his father, Bogart, his, uh, John Houston's father, who got an Academy Award out of that movie, that was John Houston's first movie. His first, and he wrote, he wrote it. Uh, so, uh, okay, but those three guys looking for gold in, in the Sierra Madre Mountains, which is a jungle and a mountain, and they're cut off and they're lost and they're starving and they're looking for gold and they're filthy. Okay, the same guy is now is going to direct Annie, the musical. And if you know anything about Little Orphan Annie, the cartoon from the 30s and the 40s, that mm-hmm. was Daddy Warbucks and an orphan and a dog who said Arf. But Annie was an orphan and Daddy Warbucks was a major industrial, military industrial complex millionaire cartoon character. A bald, rich, rich guy who takes in an orphan. And basically, the cartoon was um, a diatribe against the, the difference between the, the moneyed and the unmoneyed, right. the rich and the poor. That was what the whole thing was about. And it was just not, and it was kind of funny and you know heart wrenching, but okay. That guy who directed Sierra Treasure, Sierra Madre, was now going to direct Annie, and he was looking forward to it. And when it came to the the costumes and the and the thing. They wanted it spick and span. If you look at the movie, all these poor people, all these poor kids in the orphanage where Annie comes from are all dressed in tattered clothes that are clean and crisp and starched uniforms. Nowhere near any kind of reality that John Houston could get his head into. So he was fighting for, he said, I want some grit in this movie. There is none. There is none. And in comes this this kid from nowhere, this tall, skinny kid, Larry Hankin, saying, I want my costume to be filthy. Thank <laughs> God! <laughs> so when he's dropping it in the puddle, he's not stepping on my costume. He's stepping on the producers, man. That's why he sacrificed those Italian shoes. 
they cost about two hundred, three hundred dollars, uh, maybe a piece. But you oh, know, that is awesome. But, but that's what he was doing. I thought it was all about me. You know, he's my buddy. He's sticking. <laughs> no, man. I just happened to be there, and you know. Uh, 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 a commiserating soul. That's all I was. <laughs> Thank God, a little dirt. Thank God. And he was kind of my friend for, you know, for the short while I was there, you know, I mean, because, but nobody would talk to him. And then I understood about the Alzheimer's thing because now I would watch because he was not Alzheimer's. You know, I mean, he had all his faculties, man. He was sharp as a tack. Cause mm-hmm. I asked him, uh, you know, a couple of questions to test, you know, and I mean, in a way, he knew I was testing me, but I was saying something interesting. So he answered me. Like I said, have you ever heard of uh, the uh, Maltese Falcon? Have you ever heard of that movie? Of course. Oh, yeah. It's one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> no, he, he just all he said was, uh, I've heard of it. Because he wanted to see where this kid is going with this, oh, you know, right, stupid right, question. Right. I said, so he said, yeah, yeah, why? And we were walking. I saw him walking alone, so I just fell in with him. And we were just walking alone together, you know, just like this. And finally, I had to say something. I didn't know what to say. I said, you ever heard of, uh, you know, multi? He said, yeah. I said, he said, well, why? I said, well, you know, if you try to make that, again, I, I said it with a little attitude. <laughs> you know, well, if you tried to make that, you know, today, you can never make that movie, ever. Oh, God, yeah. So now I got his attention. All right. Oh, thank God. <laughs> so he goes, oh, really? And he's starting to slow down. And he goes, really? And why is that? I said, hey, man, it's just talking, talking, and rooms and rooms. Talk and room, talk and room, and every once in a while you go outside. And they wouldn't make that. They wouldn't make that in a million years today. And he goes, yeah, you're right. You're right, yeah. <laughs> he just kept on walking. That's all. That's all, I, that's all I needed, you know. But, so I knew he, yeah, in other words, to me that meant, no, this guy has Alzheimer's. I mean, that's, I mean, he should have told me to get out of here. What do you, you know, but okay. I, so now when I sat next to him, you know, when he was directing, I was always standing next to him. I just want to see how he directed. People would come up to him and what he was was passive aggressive. He didn't want to be there. He had shut down, man. He was just getting it done. He was just doing it by the numbers. But when people would come to him, he would, go yeah or go yes or no or shake his hands but he wouldn't talk to anybody and that's where they got the alzheimer's thing he just you know talked to the hand is what he was doing right Mm -hmm. and and so i thought oh i get it you know all right but i mean that's my john houston that's that's you know that's amazing that is just awesome that's, i could sit here all day with you and listen to these stories which is wonderful dude i mean and you mentioned some other directors too that was uh, uh you mentioned the don siegel right oh well, yeah. he's my second one so you you're picking out the two you know john houston and uh, you know escape from alcatraz <laughs> don siegel i mean everybody says what was it like to work with clint eastwood you know i said hello to him and uh, no man don siegel was who uh, you know i mean look don, uh, clint eastwood yes i i would speak to him and i would you know hang sure. and try to hang i mean the thing with Clint Eastwood was he never went into his dressing room. He was always on the set. And, you know, there was 200 extras, you know, to be the prisoners. Because right. we were all on the island, so on Alcatraz. So 200 people, whether you're in the shot or not for the day, if they needed you or – so 200 guys, extras, in full, you know, prisoner uniforms, had to load on the boats. We had, like, 
10, uh, 10 or 20, about, about 15, 10 to 15 boats. They were tourist boats, but they had hired them every morning for three months. We would go out on the, the dock at eight o'clock in the morning, load on, you know, like 10 or 15 people per boat. And we would motor out to the Alcatraz and they would get off and they would have to sit there, you know, they'd play cards, read books, whatever, just to be on call for, hey, we need a couple of three guys in a shot, get back there, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they would be there, but I would be there every day. Now, I was on call too. Sometimes they just want me in a shot, you know. I didn't have that many scenes, but I had a couple of scenes. Um, and I, but I would hang out more with Don Siegel because he was such a, a great old man. He had gray hair too, just like, like John Houston. Uh, but he had a great sense of humor. He was always putting me on. That's why I loved him so much. He would, you know, well, I know, why are you, uh, why did you put the camera here? I don't, I don't know, Larry. I think this is the one where I'm going to get fired. You know? <laughs> and he wouldn't say anything else. That, that was it. That was your answer. You asked a question, you got an answer. <laughs> that is awesome, <laughs> Just, though. <laughs> yeah, or sometimes I would go, like you'd say, I would be playing cards because I had nothing to do. I'd be playing cards with some of the crew that weren't, you know, busy that that hour. So I'd be playing, you know, poker, and then they look up and they'd see somebody who's behind me, and I look, and it's Don Siegel standing behind me, mm-hmm. just like that. Mm-hmm. And he goes, "What are you doing, Larry?" No, I knew it was a put on just by just what he said. You know, what do you? Well, no, I'm obviously I'm playing. He goes, "What are you doing, Larry?" You know, I'm I'm playing cards. I'm not. I'm, I didn't anything for another at least two hours. He goes, uh, your next scene is the crying scene. You know, it's that scene at, where they leave me behind and there's this big choker of me. Oh, yeah. I didn't make it. He said, that, that, that's in two hours. He's very serious, man. He says, uh, <laughs> you got that scene in two hours. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. So I'm, I'm trying to play cards, you know. <laughs> and the other, the, the crew is just, they're, they're not, they're generally they go, hey man, we're playing cards your mind no they were just silent just you know staring at him and watching them him talk to me and he goes well you know it's in two hours i said yeah yeah i know he goes uh you know it's a crying scene yeah no i know i know are you going to be able to cry now that stunned me because i never even thought about it you know i was jaunty jolly the whole time you know, I, I only had a couple of lines in each scene. I wasn't worried about anything. I didn't have to do any homework. I was being me as a prisoner, you know, jolly butts, who cares? Mm-hmm. You know, so blah, blah, blah. And by the way, was, I really liked my work because of that attitude that I had. I wasn't acting at all. I was so real that you, you bought it, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. It's hard to do that. I mean, to, to not care enough to just, okay. So anyway, so I, I said, uh, well, I think so. He says, you think so? Well, 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 yeah. He goes, Larry, it's a very important scene. You got to cry. I need you to cry. Well, okay. He said, do you think you can cry? And I've never, I, I mean, he was starting to get on my nerves really with this. Can you cry? I need you to cry. Uh, you know, in two hours. I mean, it was embarrassing in front of the crew. You know, they're listening to this and he's treating me like a little kid, really. But he's serious. So I can't talk back to him. I mean, I respected him too much. So... He said, I think what you better do is go into your dressing room and see if you can cry. I go, okay, fine. You know, all right. Now I didn't know what, what was going on. So I said to everybody, okay, look, I got to leave. He wants me to rehearse. I, I don't know. So I get up and, I, and, he, and as I'm walking away and he says, if you can't cry, try slapping yourself. I need you to cry. 
and he's very adamant about it. And I'm like, well, wow, man, okay. Welcome. And I, and I literally did slap myself. I'm, I'm in my dress. Really? I'm, I'm, really? Because I'm not an actor. I'm a stand-up comedian. I mean, I can tell you this story, but I can't cry. So, I thought you, you were know, trying to go for the method acting thing there. I thought you were telling God. <laughs> no, I, I, he told me, he said, if you can't cry, <laughs> slap yourself silly was his quote. Slap yourself silly. I need you to cry as I'm walking away. So, you know, I try to cry. <laughs> and my face is red. I can't. So I, I finally gave up. I, finally, I just, fuck it, I'm going to cry. I'm going to get fired. I mean, that's my go-to. I don't, I don't get scared and I got to do it. I got to, oh my God, who, who can I call? You know, <laughs> like a phone. The oh. director told me to call. What should I do? And the director told me to cry. What should I do? So, I so finally I just looked for him and I said, I, I got the idea. Backstory. Backstory. Very key element. So I said, I, where's, where's Don Siegel? I'm running around. He's always on the set, man. So I looked, look for the camera. Look for the camera. He's by the camera. So, I'm, oh, there he is. Don, can I talk to you for a second? Oh, God. All right. What do you want, Larry? So now he's like very, now what, Larry? Now so what, Larry? Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm in, I'm in trouble, but, you know, I'm okay if I'm fired. It's, it's the now what that I'm not okay with. But if he says, right. now what, you're fired, <laughs> I'm okay. All right. So, because I'm out of there. But now what? I'm still around and I'm going to have to take more of this shit. So he goes, what do you want? I said, look, um, I've been thinking about it. You know, I have a backstory for the character. I didn't have a backstory for the character. Uh, but I said, I have a backstory for the character. He goes, okay, what, what, yeah, so so what, what is it? Well, see, in this scene, you know, what, where you want me to cry, where I'm left there? Yeah, yeah. See, in the backstory, my character wouldn't cry in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that is really? awesome. Really? Yeah. Is it really? Yeah. And, and, and why is that? Why wouldn't he cry? Well, because then I, I don't even remember. I but because I wasn't ready I wasn't ready for that. I just said, you know, that would be enough. So mm-hmm. I made something up really fast. And he goes, Of course. Okay. So and he says, Okay. Look, uh just a second. And he calls over Carol. Carol is assistant. She's a woman about 25, 26, and she's his, like his secretary, his girl Friday, you know, and he goes, Carol, could you come over here for a second? Oh, yeah. She comes over and he says, and he, now he talks to her. Carol, um, Larry, um, I want you to listen to what he just told me. Larry, I want you to tell Carol exactly what you just told me. Carol, just, just listen to him. All right, go ahead, tell her. So he says, Drops back. And now I don't know what's going on and neither does she, you know, she, she shrugs to me and I go, okay, well, what I was telling him is I have a backstory. And in this situation, the next scene where he wants me to cry, my character wouldn't cry in this situation because of the backstory and because of the reason that I told him. And that's what I told him. So she looks at me and then she looks at him like, Okay. So then he looks at her and he goes, all right, Carol, would you please tell me what the fuck is he talking about? <laughs> oh, that is what awesome. What the fuck is he talking about? He says, Larry, look, and he, and he goes to me, he says to both of us, he says, look, Larry, I got a, I got a movie here. And he makes a big arc in the ceiling. We're on, 
or an Alcatraz. You know, we're in a hallway. He's like, I got a, I got an arc of a movie here. It's all testosterone. Everybody, 200 guys, including Clint Eastwood, they don't want to be there. And they're angry and they're mad and they're fighting and it's all testosterone and angst. He said, I need another emotion somewhere, somewhere around, I don't know, somewhere around here. It's about three quarters away about over there. And he goes, right here. Do you know what's there, Larry? You. That's your scene right there. I need somebody to cry. That's you. And you're going to cry there, Larry. Now, if you have to slap yourself silly, I want you to cry in a half hour. Okay? Get out of here. All right. And he goes back to the camera. (laughs) Oh, man. So I go back in the dressing room and I'm just, I don't know what to do. I mean, I literally don't know what to do. So I go to my, my backup, you know, Zen, I'm going to be fired. I can't do it, but I will not cop to it. (laughs) I will not cop to it. So I just sit there for half an hour, you know, waiting to be fired from, Oh, I wanted to be in this movie so bad. I wanted to be with Clint Eastwood and Don Siegel. All right, but I'm going to be fired. AD AD comes. All right. uh, Yeah. AD comes in. Okay, Larry, you're up. Okay, so I walk in, and he goes, all right, sit in your tent. He says, you ready, Larry? And I go, yeah, I'm ready. Yep. Okay. And he's he's fine. I mean, he's not, that way. he said, ask me, I'm ready? Right. He's fine. Right. Okay. All right, sit down. Okay, camera. And now, I didn't know this, but then he gets this big Panavision camera, this huge bohunk of a camera, and he puts it right in my face. So it's like this. It's right there. <laughs> right. It is eight inches from my face. His big lens there, like this. And he goes, okay, you comfortable, Larry? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. So, okay, you ready? All right, you know, gets the lighting and everything fine. Is everybody ready? Okay, we're going to go. All right, you ready, ready, Larry? Okay, fine. All right, and one, two, three. Action, Larry. And I'm going, you know. All right, cut, 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 cut. All right, John, come on in, bring it in. So John comes over, which is another crew member, and he comes in with a bottle. You know those old-fashioned 1930s hair sprayers with the bulb on the end? Oh, the yeah. spritzer? My grandmother used to have those, yeah. Yes, exactly. That's <laughs> what he comes, that's what John comes in with. And he goes, he comes in and he puts it right in my face, off camera. The camera is right here. The lens is like this, and the spritzer is right here. And John goes, this <laughs> mist goes across. And tears come crying on my face. So I go, and I'm crying. And he goes, one, two, three, cut. Larry, that was great. Thank you very much. Moving on. And we go away and I go, what the hell was that? And he says, wintergreen. We use it. Makes you cry. All right, let's go. We're going this way. Oh, that is awesome. He knew from the time he was standing behind me at the card game that that's what was going to go down. Oh, yeah. He was prepared. That's how much they put us on. <laughs> because he would be telling me the whole, before this happened, he would be telling me, Don Siegel would be telling me how in the old days, if it was a close-up, because of the, the heavy lights they had back in the 40s and 50s, mm-hmm. it, it was huge. And, and the crew, if you look at the old pictures, they wore in suits in those days, man. The crew, even the yeah. working guys yeah. wore suits. The director wore suits. So it was so hot that if it was a close-up, all the actors, mainly the male, but even the female, they would take off their skirts and their pants, and they would do the shot in their underwear just to cool off. 
So wow. the, you know, the cat would be like this and the rest of them, they would just be sitting in their, you know, whitey tidies or their boxers, you know, and, and, you know, they would make fun of that or they would pan down to show the boxers, you know, just for the, <laughs> for the crew screen, just, just for the, oh, just for the blue screen, screen, right? Yeah. Oh, or course. I'll tell you, I'll tell you another one. Uh, when, you know, in, um, in Escape from Alcatraz, there's a scene where we're going to escape and we pass it down because it's in a movie theater. So we can whisper and, and the guards can't see us. So there's a shot. It's a panning shot. And there's a, uh, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a tracking shot where they're going from face to face down the line where we're passing, you know, it's tonight, it's tonight, it's tonight, it's tonight, you know, it's tonight, it's tonight. Mm-hmm. So he says, okay. So we, uh, Alcatraz has a movie theater for, for the prisoners, you know, the show movies. So that's where we were shooting it in, in the Alcatraz prison movie theater so we're all sitting in the second row all of us are lined up and i'm sitting right next to clint and um uh, don siegel says okay now the camera is going to be facing you you guys and we're going to be tracking down the line as you pass the word we're going to be following the word you know it's tonight okay so but you're watching the movie until you have to pass it and then only you know turn like that so to make it real, he's telling us, we're going to show a movie so that everybody's eyes are always watching in the same place. If there's somebody walking this way, all eyes are going there. So we're going to, so don't let that throw you that there'll be a movie on the screen, really. But we're filming you, okay? So don't let it throw you. So he's very serious about it. Okay, all right. So, he, and he always speaks to Clint first. He says, is that okay with you, Clint? Fine with me. You always ask, you know, was that shot good for you, Clint? You know, Clint says yes. Okay. All right. Ready? All right. And everybody, action. And we start, and the movie starts, and the panning starts, and we got to keep going, man. So uh, it's, you know, it's tonight. It's tonight, tonight. And on the screen is the filthiest pornographic movie I've ever seen. (laughs) Ever in my entire life. And I've seen some porny movies. Whoa! It's a room full of the most beautiful women and the most beautiful, largest cocks I've ever seen and breasts. And it's a room full of people. It's like at least 10 beautiful women and beautiful men. And they're all naked and they're just... But after the camera goes past you, the viewer goes... (laughs) So it's like... like, That is just awesome. Yeah, it's, it's... it's tonight. <laughs> so that was, but he would, Don Siegel later say, yeah, that was going on all through the field, all through the thirties, the forties and the fifties. That's, you know, off the off camera stuff. Sure. Sure. Oh. That's, that, those are awesome stories. Larry. I wish we could have all night with you, but I have uh, a million of them, man. I, you know what? We might have to make I you only a regular have feature. Like <laughs> I think we might I mean, have to have you more and more often, dude. Well, just, just, you know, he said, Hey, can you tell us about, you know, like Larry David or, I mean, First of all, I think that in the the, uh, the 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 Hollywood universe, to me, the directors are the ones. They are the ones. Sure, uh, sure. Because they're different. They really are. They're not like stars. Stars are ego trips. Now, directors have ego trips. I mean, they are <laughs> egotistic. Right. As we all are, you know, if, if you get special attention, it's just you, you feed on it. I mean, it's just a, it's, it's a DNA thing. You know, monkeys do it. Yep. And so do we do. But, but um, 
for, uh, but directors are different. They also dress different. You know, mm -hmm. if you go to a party, you, you can tell who's a director and who's a star and who's nobody and who's a crew. I mean, they all have their, their uniforms is what it is. Their costumes, you know, right. but, but the directors have the, the mind, you know, they see the, the big picture. I mean, literally. The, the yeah, well, I mean, film. that's that's why they get the big bucks, right? That's why exactly. they get the big bucks. And so their mind is really grasping the, the, the big picture, you know? They see more than you're seeing, is what I'm saying. So yeah, I most I love talking to them. Yeah, I just, you know, all yeah. of them. Well, well, we love talking to you too, sir. And uh, and yeah, I wish I wish we didn't have to end the segment so soon. Um, but, um, you know, um, lastly, well, if you ever want to do another one, just call me. I mean, yeah, I like talking, you know what, um, Larry, I, I we definitely, will definitely have you back on. I, I think cool. so. I think that is a, is a guarantee. Um, you know, but until then, until we talk to you again, where can listeners like reach out or find out what you're oh, okay. doing or get your t-shirts, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. Uh, Quickly, okay, what I'm doing now is I, I've written two screenplays, uh, you know, in, in between jobs and stuff. I kind of took a sabbatical, so only writing. So my next project is I'm writing a book about these stories that I just told you. Awesome. Uh, including these stories. That's, That's awesome. And others. That's, I got a million of them. Right? I've got, uh, like, I think about 10 or 15 hours of just these. So, so that's my next project is uh, the book. I've just written two screenplays, which are for me. I, you know, I want to be in them and have the, maybe the lead or minor kind of role. You know how Woody Allen started, you know? Gotcha. He had right, these right, right. parts and then he... So, so that. But you can keep up with me with therealarryhankin.com. That's my website. And you can see my... I have a book already up there. My T-shirts... Here's my T-shirts. Here's one of my T-shirts there, right there. You know, that is awesome, Larry. There, there. And that's a T-shirt. But there are also, also paintings. That's my paintings. The paintings I can't afford. There are, those are uh, like, uh, I think, 350 or $500 a piece. Mm -hmm. But a lot of people, my fans and the people, they can't afford them either. I can't afford them. So they <laughs> say, hey, it would make great T-shirts. So I have T-shirts. And I look for a great place to for the colors, you know, so that yeah. they're really... You know, mm -hmm. museum piece kind of T-shirts, and they're only twenty bucks, eighteen bucks T-shirts. Oh, very good. But cool. there are twenty-four of them, so that's it. There's the commercial. That's awesome. We will have a link to it up on our show notes and Great. up on thank our you. website. So absolutely, absolutely. But thank you guys. Whatever. Really, thank uh, you so so much. Great. You were awesome, man. Well, let's take a quick break, and we'll be back in a moment. Michelle here with the Iconic Rock Talk Show moment. And uh, before I start, just going to step out of my lane just a little bit and say um, rest in power and travel on well to uh, Chadwick Boseman, who did, of course, play James Brown and Get On Up. Um, you really got a sense of character and grace from him, seeing him on screen. I, th I know he will leave a tremendous legacy and inspire people for years and years to come 
And having said that, um, we have been waiting for a while for the reissue of Tom Petty's Wildflowers and all the rest, and the Petty Estate has announced that that will drop on October 16th. It was curated, of course, by his daughters, Adria and Anna Kim, and his wife, Dana. Um, this is a, was a very important project to him. Um, he meant Wildflowers to be a double album with 25 tracks. It was whittled down to 15. So this reissue is going to restore those lost um, 10 songs and include a lot of bonus material. There's going to be three different versions, a deluxe with um, 15 recordings and 14 live performances, um, a super deluxe with five CDs and 70 tracks, and an ultra deluxe with less than 500 copies. Um, you can go to tompetty.com and uh, pre-order um, whichever version you are most interested in as a Tom Petty fan. Um, to commemorate the announcement, the estate has premiered a solo demo version of the title track and put out a video with previously unseen footage of Tom working in his home studio. Um, so if you are a Tom Petty fan, this is uh, very important news indeed. And also, if you are a certain age, we won't say what that is, you probably remember going as a kid to, you know, the drugstore, the grocery store with your mom, and you'd head to the magazine section to check out all the rock magazines and find out what was going on, what your heroes were up to. It was Rolling Stone, Rock Preview, Circus, and of course there was Detroit's Own Cream. And uh, you can now stream Boy Howdy, the story of Cream Magazine, uh, at their website. Uh, it's nine ninety nine for the um, for the download. Um, this documentary was put together uh, by the magazine's founder, um, Barry Kramer's son, JJ. Uh, features interviews with Michael Stipe, Kirk Hammett, Gene, and Paul from Kiss, Joan Jett, and a whole bunch of other people. Um, you go to creammag.com, and of course, if you know the magazine, you know that is spelled C-R-E-E-M-M-A-G.com. Uh, download and relive those glory days of rock journalism in print. Um, this has been the Iconic Rock Talk Show moment. Uh, the blog is iconicrocktalkshow.wordpress.com, and we will catch you next time. Fans of podcast, I am Rusted Robot. Rusted Robot is seven feet tall. Yes, I've heard. Episodes in the hundreds with pop culture reviews and geek style news. I am Rusted Robot Podcast. You have come here for geek. Will you listen? Listen for free. No, we will run and we will live. I run and you'll live and dying in your beds many years from now. Would you be willing to trade all those days and come back here for just one more listen? They may take our lives, but they'll never take our Rusted Robot Podcast. When your wife suggested couples therapy, do you think that this is what they had in mind? Definitely. I mean, we're a couple of couples, right? Bill, Ted, enough of the delusions. You didn't time travel. And you didn't go to heaven and hell. Here's a real idea for you. Be role models to your daughters. Get real jobs. We've spent our whole life trying to unite the world. And I'm tired, dude. Ted, we have a destiny to fulfill. Whoa. Whoa. Greetings, my excellent friends. We have a problem. Step forward. A song created by Preston Logan. 
performed tonight will save reality as we know it. Oh, dude, we better write that song now. Or why can't we just go to the future when we have written it? Take it from ourselves. Except, won't that be stealing? Cheers. <laughs> How is that stealing? We're stealing it from ourselves, dude. Dude, our dads are totally in trouble. Yeah. You should help him out. No way. How's, How's it going, Bill and Ted? Ted? We're putting together a most extraordinary band. Hey, you want to be in our band? Oh. <laughs> oh, this is so fantastic. We're going to go talk to Death. Is he playing hopscotch by himself? Dude, he's cheating. Hey, Death. My citizens are wild stallions. Let's rock! Be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. Yeah, Billy, dance! How you doing? Well, you know, we're dead and we're in hell. But how you doing? We're, we're good. good. Hey there, welcome back to Earth Station One. We are now ready to go bogus and go time traveling once again with the most bodacious travelers of all time, Mr. Bill S. Preston and Ted Theodore Logan. And together they make Wild Stallions. That's right, folks. Bill and Ted face the music. Take it away, Mikey. And we will all be facing the music today. Um, We got our movie people with us. Uh, We've got Ashley back with us hello thanks for having me back it's interesting to be talking about a new movie today yeah uh and alex too we are we are actually talking about a summer movie this is (laughs) boggles the mind is what it does right now what was the last movie new movie we actually talked about on the podcast do we any of us remember no clue was it birds Uh, of prey god it might have been yes i think you're right yeah it was birds of prey yeah that felt like 10 years ago. Um, uh, we've also got with us another guest. Uh, please welcome Rob to the station. How's it going, everybody? Howdy, Rob. Hey, Robbie. Um, yeah, for those people hey. who may not be familiar with you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Just a, a quick intro. Well, um, I live in Hagerstown, Maryland. I've known Mike for several years, and you we went to school man. together. Went to college. Um, <laughs> let's mm-hmm. see. Um, I used to work for the state of Maryland. I'm a retired correctional officer, and now I'm, I just sit at home, and I'm a house husband. The oh. wife works, and I just take care of the house and all that stuff. The movie Mr. Mom was actually based on him, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, okay. um, we, we, we usually start these reviews by uh, getting a box office report, and we haven't been able to do this for a while. I know. Alex, this is kind of you know, uh, new territory for us and, you know, Hollywood. It's, it's, um, it's new, but familiar, but familiar. Um, yeah. um, what, what is the story on the box office? With so it, it's kind of interesting because uh, it's, it, it wound up finishing the weekend number three at the box office. Um, it, it was released to a thousand screens and pulled in and i can't believe this we're doing a review on a weekend where the movie made one million dollars <laughs> uh to be fair 1.125 million 
um, which is uh, considering the fact that we're reopening everything uh, is not a terrible number, but it wasn't enough to defeat the number one movie of the summer, The New Mutants? <laughs> that shocks me to no end. I'm actually shocked it finally came out. I, I, this movie did not get released. It escaped. And the, the fact is, is that I mean, it, $7 million for New Mutants, good on them. We're not here to talk about that. What uh, what was like since if, if Bill and Ted was third? Yes. What was second? Uh, Unhinged, uh, which did two point six million, uh, but also was at twice as many theaters. Gotcha. Uh, and actually now, increased its number uh, from the week before. So now that's just box office, right? Actual theater box office. Number, Sony, right? Sony slash any of the, none of the that. video yeah. on demand. Yeah, right? Sony uh, so. slash Orion is not releasing the uh on-demand numbers and i think they're doing that to make sure they don't angry the movie theaters um we we know what happened earlier with universal and their statements and whatnot um we're we're not i don't think the the nation overall is ready to be jumping back into movie theaters and no no at least not 100 percent completely um so I th- I think they made the right call to only release to a thousand screens and to bank on just the idea of people being able to stay at home, but to see something new. Um, yeah. So. I mean, they've been releasing a lot of things, video on demand mm-hmm. throughout the, throughout the whole pandemic, but I think this is, you know, the biggest one so far um, with probably ne- this coming weekend with Milan being the next big. Uh, yeah, uh, by absolutely. Yeah. So, um, um all right so um rob i want to start with you as far as your what's your history with bill and ted what were your feelings going into this movie did you want a third one were you really looking forward to it and just overall uh at the end were you satisfied well i saw the first one with with mike years ago and I, I, it blew me away. And the second one, my expectations weren't as, weren't as great, but yet I enjoyed it. The third one, I'm going to have to say, starting out, I was kind of like, okay, it's slow. Okay, let's, let's hope it, it speeds up a little bit. But by the middle of the movie, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get into it. And then by the end of the movie, I'm, I'm going, okay. It, it's not bad, but I mean, all in all, for me, it just it wasn't as as good as the as the the first one. So I mean, it just with the second one, okay, they they did what they set out to do, but then mm-hmm. it just seems like what happened? Okay, they 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 were supposed to be they made their their album and they were supposed to be cosmic heroes, and then all of a sudden. Whoa, they're they're now doing the uh, the uh, the how do I say it the bar mitzvah circuit, right? <laughs> you right. know, I mean, the, they're the doing that. Circuit, right? It's like, well, what happened? Uh-huh. I mean, and it just seems like, and but then what was nice? Their daughters picked up the pace. It's like, well, they're not. Their daughters are now the Bill and Ted of the series. Right. So I mean right. I just mm-hmm. I I mean I liked it, but 
but I just wasn't fully into it like I was with the other ones. That's that's gotcha. that's all I can say about it. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, good night, um, everybody. <laughs> I mean, you want me, you want me to be honest about it, but that that was no, absolutely, that was my, no. that was my interpretation about it. Absolutely, this, this is why we do these. You know, this is why we ask and invite other people. Yeah, on, but I, I did enjoy the movie. It just I just opinions. wasn't fully into it like the other ones. Sure, sure. Well, yeah, we'll get into the 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 specific positives and negatives um, uh, that we all ran into. Um, Ashley, what about you? Now, um, how what experience have you had with Bill and Ted? So this is actually my very first Bill and Ted experience. Um, what? You didn't watch the first two beforehand? I knew she was going to say that too. I know. So That's I'm really right. you, were, you were not even born when the first one came out. I was out. born when the second I'm, one came out. Oh, I'm, dude, you didn't I'm, have to say that, Alex. I'm incredibly embarrassed, but yes. So I've had, of course, heard of Bill and Ted and just as pop culture icons and references. And so sometimes just as a movie a watcher, I think it's interesting to just dive into something and see how it plays for somebody new coming to the franchise. I purposely did that with um, the Mad Max Fury Road movie too. I had not seen another Mad Max movie before in my life. And like, let's just dive in, see what this is like. So it it was an interesting experience. Um, I would say the humor wasn't my personal cup of tea. So not to be Debbie Downer here. It was not necessarily a film that spoke to me really deeply, but there were still some positives that I enjoyed about it. And I also really enjoyed the daughter and the legacy angle and seeing them kind of go back through time and celebrate all the different styles of music throughout history. So that was really cool. So even though it wasn't my personal favorite, I think there are some still little moments that made me smile and brought me some joy. Mm. So, so not on the hate list. No, no. <laughs> now that I know you have one, I'm going to keep asking you. Um, yes, yeah, so there's a few on there, a few mysterious movies on that hate list. I do recommend that you do watch the first two, at least the first okay. one, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. even if this one isn't your cup of tea, uh, yeah, the the first one is, is worth a watch. Yes. Um, and, Alex, and what about remember, you? It's 1989, so just remember. Yeah. All yeah. <laughs> so um, I actually have an interesting history with the, with the original film. Um, I was in 1987, I think, <clears throat> answered a phone call, and it was about, uh, it was a movie survey. And they were asking about various plots of movies and would I be interested in them? And one of them was about a movie uh, in which two uh, uh, goofball teenagers wind up going back in time. So I actually knew about Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure two years before it was released. Because uh, it did take everybody by surprise. Yeah, it, it did. Um so naturally, um, I saw it in theaters. Um, a theater is where you used to go to watch movies. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I saw that one, and I had you know owned the soundtrack. At least we could say it wasn't before Ashley's time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I I had I, I had the soundtrack uh, featuring the music of Extreme um, before they got awful. 
Um, oh, see, I love the soundtrack because it had Big Pig. Yeah, yeah. Right yeah, I mean, you started off with that. So, I mean, uh, just a, a, a tremendous album. Um, the uh, Bogus Journey was different, um, especially when you consider the original title was Bill and, Tell, Bill and Ted Go to Hell. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but it was very interesting. And, you know, that one, you, you had the brilliance of uh, uh, William Sadler, um, yes. who, who was deaf and really was the breakout character of, course. of, of Bogus Journey. Um, so, you know. Oh, even more than Station. Yeah. Yeah. Um, although we got to see Station's butt. So there you go. Um, <laughs> Ashley's just My sitting there going, I don't understand any of this. But um, the uh, uh, this one going into the film, I will be frankly honest. I had the lowest of expectations. The trailer did not impress me. In fact, the trailer gave away the big secret at the end. Um, and so, like, the first time I saw the trailer, I went, oh, oh, the girls are going to do it. Mm-hmm. The girl oh that was just a green. that was like that was so easy it, to it was figure blatant. out and i'm like oh well yeah. there's really no reason to watch this film now um there's there were a lot of reasons for that <laughs> but no uh and then you know but you know we're, we're sitting here in quarantine and whatnot and um uh, we were told we were doing this show so it's like okay well i guess i'm watching this and my wife and i sat down to watch the film and the heart from the original movie is still in this film. Um, is it as strong as the first one? No. Is it better than the second one? Yeah. And some really good performances came out of this. Some really nice touching uh, homages in this and throwbacks to the first uh, and second film are in this movie. And Honestly, when the film was over, it's funnel cake entertainment. You know, there's not a whole lot to digest, but I liked it. Cool. Mike? For me, you know, like Rob had said, him and I went to go see it at the theaters when it first came out. We were there, I think, probably opening weekend. Yeah. And we were pretty much, you know... After, you know, seeing that movie, you know, we went to see it because a time traveler and we were already Doctor Who fans at the time. So and then it was just a typical comedy dealing with time traveling. But you also had them picking up the historical figures for their report. Sorry to spoil it for you, Ashley. But, you know, (laughs) but it but it was awesome. And it was so much fun. The music was amazing in the movie in the first one and sat like Alex said, the soundtrack and it had a lot of heart. The second one, not so much. The second one, it just felt like something was missing. And like, I hate to say Alex was right again, but you know, it was pretty darn awesome. You know, having the character of death, he was the standout for it. And the two robots that, uh, the Bill and Ted robots were pretty awesome in that one too. But, you know, it was, it was just a lot of fun to see. And one of the most classic moments 
truthfully in movies for the last 40 years for this was in the second movie when they were playing games against death to oh, win yeah. and you know and <laughs> death was trying to cheat of course so and that was just awesome to, now when they came to the third i was hesitant about it i was just like yeah it's bill and ted i want to watch it because of nostalgia for reasons and it was just like we've been talking about bill and ted three since pretty much we started earth station one we've been <laughs> For almost over 10 years, they've been, oh, Bill and Ted 3 is coming. Oh, Keanu and Alex are, are on board. Blah, blah, blah. Oh, it fell through. Oh, it's coming back. You know, and, you know, and then I didn't believe it was going to be coming back until I saw the scene with them at the Hollywood Bowl saying, you know, saying, hey, we're coming back for it. You know, this is it. And it was actually going to happen. So I got excited for it. I agree that this movie had the same feel that the first one was, but not to the extent because everything that was in this movie had been done already. It wasn't really anything new and it was predictable. It was very easy to figure out what was happening with it, but it was fun. And that's what I loved about it. And I didn't feel that with the second one. I think this captured the fun again and I was very happy to see that. And I hope everyone stayed through the credits for the ending scene, you know, yeah. and everything. Well, I didn't have to go home, so. That's true. <laughs> oh, it, it had gotten watch next on, because mm-hmm. I did through Amazon. Yeah. And so it's, and so it said, watch next, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I was like, no, no, I can't go to it yet. I, I heard there's an end scene. I, I, you know what, I, I watch all movies to the end credits. Oh, I used to do it out of respect for the cast and crew. Now I do it just to see if uh, Samuel Jackson show up and recruit uh, characters into the Avengers. So, mm-hmm. um, um, well, for me, um, I was in college when the original Bill and Ted came out and uh, um, didn't get a chance to actually go to the actual theater and see new movies as much as I wanted to. I was really steep deep into film studies and watching a lot of classic movies. And it was my, um, one of my, actually, I do remember one of my film professors actually recommending that I see Bill and Ted, uh, the first one, uh, which was very unusual because uh, most of my film professors, as as good as they were, were not really um, that um, complimentary about modern movies, particularly like, you know, like a movie like Bill and Ted that just wouldn't be on uh, most uh, um, film professors' radars. But this, the, the I, so I, I was interested. I think I finally saw it on video at some point, um, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot, probably more than I thought I was going to. Um, and then I saw the second one, and I enjoyed that to an extent. To be honest with you, I don't remember a lot of it. The one thing I do remember, of course, is death. Um, now. You guys are probably already aware of this, but some listeners might not because I'm surprised. I'm actually amazed at how many people don't realize that that scene in Bogus Journey is a satire of the scene with death in Seventh Seal, um, which is a big, Mm -hmm. intense movie with Max von Sydow directed by Ingmar Bergman. It's why why death has the accent. Exactly. I mean, and, and Mm -hmm. and it's hilarious when you juxtapose those two, I mean, it's even funnier and it shows, it shows you how, you know, that Bill and Ted 
are uh, those movies are not just these sort of simple um mill comedies they they've actually got um they've got some depth to them they know they they these writers know some material that they are playing off of which is kind of cool um as far as the third one goes um sure i was you know up for it if they were up for it um but like mike said uh who knew when we were going to get one right um if we were ever going to get one but uh you know keanu's the man now he's having a resurgence so why not uh so they they get this done on the cheap apparently (laughs) this movie uh must be a you know if you adjust for inflation i bet this movie is the cheapest one out of all three of them um to make and uh and it shows in parts um and the script is not as solid as i would have hoped it would be um and we can talk about some of the characters in a minute but um but like alex pointed out the heart of the original movie and even to the extent the second one but is in this movie and you know the message of this movie especially right now it touched me like it it made me weepy like i was like you know that we need more like i'm like we need more movies with messages like this i just like especially now um i mean i know when they made it they didn't they they weren't making it for that reason but um it seems like it's more appropriate now than ever um you know i mean obviously you've got disney that makes that message almost with every other movie but with uh with this one it was you know um unexpected and very sweet and i and i did enjoy it i did enjoy it so um the main thing i enjoyed was bill and ted uh alex and keanu still have the chemistry i think uh they're still they're still fun to watch whenever they're on the screen to me they were the highlight of this movie whenever they're on the screen i just loved watching them um uh, rob what about you what did you feel do you feel the magic is still there with these characters i agree with you with with the message because the message with to me from the second one god gave rock and roll to you okay the music heals all and that's what i got from this one too yeah the sound of music it it brought everyone together and it straightened everything out and it it made everyone it made everything right and um the things that i liked about it yeah the scenes with death okay he'd say oh you got the restraining order lifted finally and him wanting to get back in the band and all that but everyone everyone had to apologize i I like that and what really also got to me was the robot um i don't know why when when he he made the mistake of killing everyone and he started going uh uh uh, and i'm sitting there thinking like what does he remind me of oh my god marvin the paranoid robot android he started reminding me that like oh, oh oh god you know and then the scene where I, I forget her name, the daughter of Rufus. You named him after my ex-boyfriend. <laughs> I got a kid. Yeah, that. I just—I I mean, I—I—they're I, parts of it I enjoyed, but like I said, just there was just times where it just got so slow, and it's like, okay, let something happen. Let something happen. And I mean, I, I enjoyed the movie, but like I said earlier, I just not as much as I did with with the with the other ones. But I mean, it, it was a good movie. I'll say that. Sure, sure. Um, Ashley, what about you? This is your first experience watching Keanu and Alex together. The the you know that you that this couple that has been hyped, like you said, they are 
uh, Bill and Ted, for for better or for worse, are part of pop culture. Uh, just the lexicon, and you can't get. But this is the first time you've actually seen them in action, right? I'll I'll start off maybe with something that was a little more negative in my perception, and then uh, bring it back around to the positive because that's always what I like to do. Um, so yeah, like I said, this isn't necessarily my style of comedy. Sometimes I found Bill and Ted to be slightly annoying characters. I know that's terrible. Please do not eject me out the airlock. And it was not quite my thing, but they were also so lovable that anytime I started to get irritated with them, I'm like, I'm a bad person. Like, how can I hate these two harmless, joyful men who are just going about their lives, like living their best life and trying to do good things. And what I really liked seeing was their relationship with their daughters, just because so many times I feel like when you have parent-child relationships in films, there can be conflict there and negativity and kids not getting along with the parents or the parents not understanding the kids. But I feel pretty fortunate that I have really close relationship with my parents and my dad and I geek out about the same type of things. So seeing Bill and Ted with their daughters interested in music, really geeking out about this, that kind of reminded me of my relationship with my dad. So that gave me a warm, fuzzy feeling. And like I mentioned earlier, I really enjoyed seeing the famous musicians without history. I think sometimes it's easy for us to kind of get in a zone, like this is the style of music I like, and this is what I listen to. But really, in order to appreciate music, you have to look at the whole span of it, like going back from classical music to more modern rock like it all is a part of art and there's beauty in that and it's been a long time since I've seen a movie celebrate that wide range of art like you need all those musicians to make the complete thing come together and I 100% agree is the message maybe about music uniting us all a little cheesy yes is it what we need in 2020 absolutely yes and it just yeah, I do. I wish we no, could all just like, no. play instruments Fair. right now and bring us together and COVID to go away. But I, I really do think that message is good and important to drive home in these times. So even though the movie wasn't my personal favorite, I actually feel like there were some good things I took away from it to think about. Um, <clears throat> I love Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves together. Um, they've done a lot of stuff. Uh, most of it together has been Bill and Ted. Um, if going all the way to the animated series, which for the first season, they did the voices. Mm -hmm. uh, it was awesome. On, it was totally awesome having that. Um, and, and, and then Fox took over anyway. Um, <laughs> but, uh, said about so many things. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and here we are anyway um i love the two of them together uh uh keanu even did uh an uncredited appearance in uh alex winter's movie uh freaked that's right dog i forgot boy. about that yep and um and uh, also uh it was we mentioned earlier we couldn't remember uh george carlin's daughter's name her daughter's the daughter's name is kelly, kelly yeah and is named after George, George Carlin's, Carlin's daughter. daughter. Yeah, because okay. Kelly Carlin. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, which I think is a, an amazing touch. Uh, but no, I I really enjoy uh, Winter and and Reeves together because it's obvious they enjoy being together. Yeah. I you know it's 
it's kind of on the same level as you know Pitt and Clooney. They work well together. It's natural, and well, the it chemistry doesn't is feel just forced. Awesome. The chemistry is perfect, and so you could you know knowing the history of of where Bill and Ted came from, and that it was a college skit done by the creators. Um, but they were loser characters that were solely unlikable. Mm-hmm. The, when they created the characters and got Reeves and Winter in there, suddenly they realized they couldn't make them unlikable losers. Mm-hmm. You could make them losers, but they were going to be likable. So I, I think that's, you know, yeah, they're dumb. And yeah, the humor is dumb. But again, it's done in such an innocence. Uh, from them that they don't realize they're idiots exactly and that's uh, one and cool. that is one of the cool things about this film and about the two of them working together mm-hmm. well exactly and that was one of the cool things about it they just interviewed him uh Keanu recently and somebody asked them so are bill and ted stoners and it's like no they're just clueless <laughs> just california yeah. yeah yeah they're just they're just, <laughs> they're, just dumb. Southern, they're just southern californians that's what i think <laughs> yeah <laughs> No, and one of the, you know, the thing with this movie, it was awesome. I also love the chemistry between the two daughters was really well done. And it reminded me so much of the characters from the first movie, which was what they were trying to do. And, you know, if she, I wanted her so much, though, uh, to put down the Cheetos bag, though. Come on. It's like, (laughs) you think, you know. They're paying for advertising. Yes, we know, but you don't have to have. She wouldn't it be able to touch anything. No, exactly. Everything she'd have <laughs> orange fingerprints everywhere. Yeah. You know, without <laughs> even exactly. across time and space. How they follow them? Yes. That's, you know, exactly. That, that's see, that's how that's see, how Dennis she, was that's chasing. Right. There you that's go. Like, Leave a trail. Et had the M, had the M and M's or Reese's pieces. Right? Reese's pieces. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I did laugh my head off when they both when they went to couples therapy together. Yes, yeah. funny, which was a great scene. I did tear up though when they were in the future and you saw George Carlin, you know, as the hologram oh, sure. and everything. Yeah, and nice touch. They did give Carlin an actual credit in the credits. Oh, which is proper, and I loved it because from the very beginning they said that his character would not be replaced by another person yeah. or something, which is awesome, yeah. and that was just really well done. And I love the, the scene at the very beginning. Ted's brother was getting married to <laughs> Missy. Deacon and Missy. Yeah. Exactly. That's, what, that's what we didn't know that we wanted. Yeah. I, it was hilarious. And it was like, wow, Ted, you remember when Missy date was married to my dad? And then she married your dad. And then now she's marrying Deacon. So now you're... Your dad is now my his son. brother-in-law. His <laughs> son, and it's just like it's like everyone's head was just like right there, and that was that it was, was awesome. dumb, but it was wonderful. Yeah, and, and I, yeah. I loved just bringing how they, that back. I loved yeah. how they got all the original actors too for that. Not all. Well, for that sequence, yes. Yes. Um, the 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 princesses have never been played by the same no. people no. twice. Right. No. Right. Because yeah. I remember in the first one, she was uh, one of the princesses was the girl from Better Off Dead, mm-hmm. and everything. And it was like, oh, now she she was French in Better Off Dead. Now she's British. Okay, got it. 
And so, but yeah, no, they've always been this, the different. And, but, you know, the core was pretty awesome. And I did love yeah. that. And I loved that they, you know, the musicians they got from the past were just awesome. Hendrick. Great choices. Yeah, very great choices. Absolutely. Louis great choices. Armstrong. And it was just, it was just awesome. And they, he got Louis Armstrong's facial features perfectly down yeah. yeah that was yeah. really really well done and then mm-hmm. to see death again and his condo in hell was awesome you know <laughs> <laughs> he had a little work done did you guys notice that on yeah. the side yeah, yeah. looked Which a little awesome. more like a skull uh mm-hmm. yeah that was that was really cool i enjoyed that they the the choices they made uh for the artists and one of the things i loved was uh especially in getting the musicians um a lot of it made sense obviously if you're like okay we need a band we need the greatest band ever you go and get the greatest guitarist ever yep which is jimmy hendrix uh, of course jimmy hendrix and they go to hendrix and again with the first film and when you think about the first film they got napoleon on accident yes they got billy the kid because they needed to escape mm-hmm so these were not people who were just willingly going along with it. Hell, Abraham Lincoln was kidnapped by a by a Genghis Khan. Genghis Khan. Yeah. So you know, I'm spoiling this you know 31 year old movie for Ashley. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Um, I've heard most of them anyway, so, so go for it. Well, so, I love yeah, how they, um, they got Genghis Khan by having holding a Twinkie in front of holding them. out a Twinkie. Yeah. 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 Um, so you know that you have all this. So obviously, when the girls come and say, "Hey, we're putting this giant band together." We want you. And his reaction is, nah, I'm good. <laughs> you know, I love that concept. So they're like, okay, well, how do we get him? Well, we get him by, and, and they did the same Bill and Ted logic from the first film. We need a triumphant video. Well, to get a triumphant video, we need Eddie Van Halen. We can't get Eddie Van Halen because we can't play. That's why we need Eddie Van Halen, which is why we need the video. It um, would have been awesome if they could have gotten Eddie Van Halen for this movie. I genuinely thought he was going to come out of the giant tour bus that was yes. right next to them. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it, it would have been just genius. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, uh, uh, at that, but then he would have wanted to say that he was better than Hendrix, and then we don't need to get into that. No. Um, but you know, they go through this whole thing. Getting Louis Armstrong was just such a fantastic sequence. Um, and he nailed it. He absolutely nailed it. Um, and it gave you just that warm feeling inside. It gave you that same feeling that you would get from the original Excellent Adventure. Mm-hmm. Very much I, so. And that was great about it. Yeah, I uh, I have to say, um, you know, in addition to uh, a somewhat weak script, the the one of the weak points for me was also um, not so much the idea of the daughters of Thea and Billy, because I thought that that was a great way to introduce legacy. And then, you know, barring marketing department, a nice twist, you know, that could have been uh, sequel, sequel. But, um, but I will say I, I wasn't happy with the over the casting. I thought that um, to me, um, uh Thea like it's difficult right because Keanu Reeves is sort of playing Keanu Reeves like at at a certain level right like he's just he just is he's an odd he's an odd guy right he doesn't you know when you see him play Shakespeare it's kind of like whoa this is weird he's not 
playing like a Shakespearean actor. He's playing Shakespeare like Keanu Reeves, um, you know. Um, and and so when he's you know when he's Ted, it it just feels natural. But it but I really felt like uh, the actress uh, Samara Weaving was trying to play Keanu Reeves playing Ted, and you can't have to me and you can't it just felt forced like it didn't felt feel like it was a natural thing it felt forced and um and that's just my point of view um and then uh same way with billy just kind of just didn't do anything for me i just almost would forget about it really it didn't it didn't she didn't really strike me as as anything i didn't i didn't feel the chemistry between them <laughs> as i did with uh Keanu and alex so so I think in the execution there, um, it was a little lacking. And plus the uh, the assassin robot um, annoyed the piss out of me, Dennis. Um, uh, I just, I just after a while, I just wish he would just go away. And I know that's kind of p- part of the joke, but I, I, I just didn't, didn't, didn't buy him. So, Samira Weaving. Um, one of the reasons why she got this role was because of her connection with Keanu. More importantly, her uncles connection with Keanu because her uncle is Hugo weaving uh, oh. of the matrix. Oh, see that. There you go. So uh, <laughs> that's kind of how she got the role, but, uh, but Thea would have been, Anderson. yeah. Uh, Thea of course was, was Bill's daughter. Um, so I think, I think what you were talking about with the uh, amount of, of, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Would have yeah, been yeah, yeah. switched sorry, around switch that out. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Uh, to uh, Bridget Lundy Payne. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, switch, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. But it, it's easy to do in a film like this. In all honesty, there's not much difference between the two characters. Um, at least with Bill and Ted, there was actually, I mean, yeah, they're two loser characters but they've still got a little bit of their own dynamic. Yeah. It's very hard for, for two, uh, for, for two actors whose sole role was basically to play the younger versions of. Right. And I, you could feel that it, there were times when it worked, but it wasn't often enough for me. Um, um, I did like them more as towards the end than I did mm-hmm. in the beginning, but cause it just like a lot of that stuff just felt like some of her facial expressions just felt so forced. Um, and I, I just, uh, it turned me off really. So. Yeah. I, for the record, love Dennis, but <laughs> no, no, I can understand. I think Dennis is one of those characters you either really love or not so much. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I will be, I'm very, very angry that there is no Dragon Con this year because I would love to see a Dennis cosplay. Oh yeah. Well, that would have been um, short notice to um, next year, yeah. right? Next year. Yeah. Cause that's going to take some work. Uh, yeah. Can, that's can a we, lot of 3d printing. That is a lot of 3d printing. Can, can we, uh, Sentra, just nothing but Sentra. Um, <laughs> can we all just appreciate the breakout character in this film? And I'm of course talking about Kid Cuddy. <laughs> The fact that Kid Cudi naturally was cool with quantum physics yeah. and time travel and, you know, lo- you know folding dimensions. Did you hear he also said station, too. He did. Mm-hmm. He threw a station, station out at the yeah. end, <laughs> which was that's, nice. That's, that, that's, the, that's the same, like, that's the Alice Cooper joke from the um, Wayne's World movies, though, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the fact yeah. that you don't expect he, these guys to you know, to know this stuff, but they actually do. They're fluent in it. 
I don't care. It was genius. No, no, absolutely. <laughs> no, I got it. I, I you know, I, I think they took it like it, it was one of those things. It was like an SNL skit where they took the one joke and they played it over and over again. Um, and yeah. I was like, about the fifth time, I'm kind of like, yeah, we got it. <laughs> <laughs> Understand it. You got yeah. it there. It's good. So, yeah. uh, go ahead. Sorry, um, Mike. No, I was just going to say, I think for a movie that we got to see new, it was enjoyable. I'm glad we had fun with it, even though Ashley hated it. It was okay. <laughs> not hate, not she's hate. Like, she's like, that eh, doesn't make quite It make made her it. feel guilty. <laughs> <laughs> I, That's my favorite part of this movie, was that it made Ashley feel guilty about not liking these guys. It did. I, I swear, <laughs> like, I, I start to get annoyed with them and then feel like, I'm a terrible person. What has 2020 done to me? So it inspired an existential crisis. So there's 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 the critic tag for this movie. It made me feel guilty for not liking. Them. This was this was an era where we saw a lot of team ups of of uh, goofballs to say the least. You know whether it was Bill and Ted or Rin and Stimpy or Beavis and Butthead. There was just several of these kinds of characters roaming around and um you know that's a whole other podcast to try to figure out where the origins of that guy is but um you know suddenly there's no funny guy and straight man it's like they're just two goofs <laughs> you know um but uh no i i don't want to rag on the movie too much i don't want to nitpick it because i did overall enjoy it i you know it was a it was a fun hour and a half or so um and i love the message and uh you know overall i would recommend it so uh rob would you recommend this yeah, was, I, mean, was... I would recommend it to the people i, I would people to people. people i mean i would say i would say yeah i mean the little people if someone came up and asked me um what do you think of the bill and ted movie i'd say if you're into it go ahead and see it you know if you go ahead and see it i i'd, I'd recommend it mm-hmm. uh ashley overall would you recommend it yeah, I would say, especially since the idea of having new content right now is such a novelty, and it's just like, oh, wow, I'm watching something new, so I was enjoyed it just for that very thing, but also, again, the message, it makes you feel good, and then after you watch it, do something to kind of, like, pay it forward, like, share music with somebody, like, send a song that makes you happy to a friend or family member, just keep keep it spreading keep keep the smiles going wow very nice very nice um yeah i think i think alex uh maybe this movie benefits from the pandemic <laughs> do you think i don't think it benefits as much as new mutants but um <laughs> uh, no i i think it does i um i the question is do we recommend this yeah. movie i enjoyed myself during this film um I don't recommend it at $20. Yeah, no, I, I don't. I, I, I don't. If you've got four people at your house, I recommend it. If you've got three, yeah, yeah, I recommend it. If you've got two or less, wait. Because mm-hmm. um, well, obviously it works wonderful on television. Well, two people on here went to the Bank of Faber, so it was okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we appreciate that. Yeah, so I mean, you know, like for me, I I want to be entertained from beginning to end. Was I entertained in this movie from beginning to end? Absolutely. Um, that alone makes me say, yeah, enjoy it. Go for it. Um, 
the price point uh, for this was a very heavy one uh, to pull trigger on. And while, yeah, groups like, you know, Voodoo, I think did all three of them for $34. Um, so you would just have them in your collection. If you're going to buy all three and watch all three, that would have been a better deal. Yeah. Um, for me, I'm not going to watch Bogus Journey. I just didn't think it was that great. Excellent adventure. Absolutely, I would watch, but I can buy it on Blu ray for less than 10 bucks now. Mm-hmm. This one, I, you know, I, I love the movie. I'm obviously the biggest supporter of it in the room, um, but I can't, I can't recommend it at 20 bucks. Yeah, no, I, I think they're going to try to have to figure out the, the, the whole price point mm-hmm. and the model going forward. Things are changing. We haven't figured out what the new normal is, especially once theaters, you know, get back up and running. It's going to, I don't think this video on demand is going away though. No. I think, I think it's here to stay no matter what. So, um, you know, exactly how much of a chunk it takes out of the, the theater releases. I don't know. We'll see going forward, but uh but uh, Mike, what about you? What do you, do you recommend it? Is it was it? Oh, of course, did you, did you I, get your I do worth? recommend. Did you, get... <laughs> did you get your money's worth? That's the question. Did we get your yeah. money's worth? <laughs> I think you guys did. I thought it was the best bargain in the world. Um, originally, when I was like hearing that it was going to be twenty five bucks, it was just like, I don't know about that. But for some reason, nineteen ninety nine didn't seem so bad for me. And because that's if I if like Judy, the song, right? No, that's not even the reason. <laughs> but because you know, if you put it out there, you know, if I go if I go to Aurora to go see the movie, you know, that's ten bucks a person right sure. there for me and Judy. And then if we get popcorn or cookies or drink, you know, that's another twenty five bucks right there. So spending nineteen ninety nine isn't so terrible for both of us to watch a brand new movie. So it wasn't so bad with that. I enjoyed it. I thought the it was great seeing some old friends. And, you know, the stuff with them, with bad Ted and bad, you know, Bill was just a, getting a little silly, you know. And it was neat seeing Dave Grohl, you know, always, you know. Always. You know, what are you doing in my house? Yeah, yeah Grohl was a nice touch. Grohl yeah. was a nice surprise. So it was it was fun, and I I had fun with it. And you know, after I I wasn't like I didn't walk out of there going, "That's the best movie ever." I said, "Well, it's better than the second one." You know, that was literally the, my words to Judy on it. She was just like, "Did you like it?" And I said, "It was fun," and that's all what I needed that night. We spent our Friday night and watched it. It was great. It was a, a really nice, you know, break from everything that's going on in the world. And it, like you said, had a very positive thing. And I loved seeing all the cameos of all the different artists in, it, when they had playing around the world and everything, all the musicians. You, like I even saw Weird Al. He was oh, in yeah. there and everything. Yeah. So it was it – And was just, that was a late entry. That was really? a late put in. Yeah. Uh, apparently Winter put out a thing on social media in May saying hey we want to see we, we we're calling out everybody send in a 30 second uh clip of you playing music and the weird al shot is actually him playing classical gas wow oh that's yes. awesome and that's actually on his youtube channel check it out it's amazing anyway. uh, awesome so yeah it was fun i was glad to do it a lot of history with these guys and like 
Alex said, if I want to watch the old one, you can get the Blu-ray for 10 bucks. I actually have the combination Blu-ray with uh, Bill and Ted and Bogus Journey on it. So got that when William was younger, we watched it together and, you know, had a lot of laughs. Well, um, and as I said, I, I do recommend it as well. Um, and especially going back uh, and watching the trilogy, I think, uh, you know, that first one uh, is just still uh, an amazing amazing film that i think everybody should watch including you ashley um <laughs> so uh although i'm gonna make her hate this producer. um so before i do that let me get let's get out of here uh and we'll be right back after this message to close the show Welcome to A Geek Girl's Take. I'm your host, Angela, and this week, this geek girl is talking about Aggretsuko Season 3. So if you haven't seen it yet, go ahead and skip this episode and come back. Last week, the third season of Aggretsuko was released on Netflix. The show is about an adorable, metal-loving red panda who also works in an accounting office and has to deal with the stuff like relationships, her mother, bills, and annoying people at work. After being gutted last season with Retsuko's relationship to Dono ending, that was my favorite part of last season. It hurt me. I was interested to see how this season was going to go. Retsuko is stressed as ever at the start of this since she has been spending her money recklessly on a dating sim game to help her overcome the fact that she is now alone and single and just upset with her life. Oddly enough, that seemed to resonate with a lot of people who randomly play a lot of app games, and it was incredibly funny to me to see people's reactions to that. Retsuko ends up bumping her rental car into another car, which leads her into all the actions of this season. We see her become the accountant of an idol group, and later she joins that idol group as their metal singer to to do songs with them. We also see a lot more characterization of the other characters this season, which I was really excited about. We see a lot more of Haida's life. We see him meet Inui, a really sweet dog girl who works in the same building as them, but on a different floor. And his back and forth struggle to decide if he wants to date her or keep his feelings for Retsuko and try to start a relationship with her. We also see Tadano a bit this season, which made me really happy since he was my favorite character of last season. And we just kind of get to see a whole lot more interaction of the side characters and not just Retsuko. I also want to throw out how much I loved Minaka, the lead singer of the OTM Girls, the idol group that Retsuko ends up becoming the accountant for and joining. At first, she seems like a stuck-up brat, but as we get to know her more, we see how nice she is, while keeping her tough, bratty girl image also. She and Retsuko become friends, and you can tell you can tell she's really genuinely upset when Retsuko leaves the group. Also, the part with the baseball bat and the nails in it had me rolling. I also really love how we get more emotion from director Tan this season, and realize that he's not just a mean guy he seems to actually somewhat care for his employees and he really wanted to help Rexico get out of her debt 
Also, the fact that his daughters were trying so hard to learn how to sing metal like Retsuko was incredibly funny to me since they were super big fans of her YouTube videos and OTM Girls. Gretzika Season 3 is on Netflix right now if you haven't seen it and you listened through to this entire spiel of it and you're super confused, you should go watch it all because it's a really fun show. Well, thanks for listening to A Geek Girl's Take. What will I talk about next week? Well, you're going to have to listen to find out. Everyone these days could use a little support and your friends at the ESO Network are no different. With the ESO Network Patreon, the cool thing is, is when you help support us, it's you who will benefit. With four tiers starting for as little as 25 cents a week, you can listen to some of your favorite network podcasts early, hear exclusive content, maybe get some ESO swag, or even possibly take a shot at the geek seat. All you need to do is sign up at patreon.com backslash ESO network. So that's going to wrap up another episode of the Earth Station One podcast. But before we get out of here, I hate to, you know, end the show like this on a little bit of a downer note. It's been such a great show so far. Um, We had a really shocking passing on Friday. Uh, Chadwick Boseman, uh, Black Panther, fabulous actor on many things, just not Black Panther. Jackie Robinson many roles james brown yeah exactly he was he was very very young too he was 43 and it was just amazing that he for the last four years he had colon cancer uh stage four and it's just amazing he filmed the avengers movies knowing that you know going through surgery going through rehab going through chemo and everything and he trained and he got ready for these roles and for these parts and it's just it's just amazing that you know kept it quiet he did he didn't make a big issue over it and his passing just took everybody by surprise and it was late friday night that you know Mm -hmm. in the evening it was just like i had just gotten done watching bill and ted actually and judy said oh my god i said what's wrong she said and she told me it's like chadwick boseman passed away and it was just like what not 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 Black Panther. A, she said yes. It was like, and we just it was flooded the mark the internet from there, and it was just amazing. It was it, it was heartbroken, you know, for a lot of us because you know you don't think of you know something like that. You know, it's just you know he was already signed on to do the next Black Panther movie. He was already planned they had cameos planned for him and you know all these different things he had like movies that he's filmed and he's not that aren't even out yet and projects and stuff it's just it's just amazing and you know what about you know for you guys you know what was your reaction you know was it you know other than shock you know what was your memories of him that'd be a better way to put it i know what your reactions were like you know but you know what, what what memories do you have of him I, I think, you know, for, for me, obviously, you know, the big one, because we're all movie geeks um, and we're all, you know, especially heading, leaning towards the geekier side um, was that he, he was the embodiment of the Black Panther. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's going to be, dare I say, impossible 
to find anybody to replace him. And we don't even want to talk about that right now. Um, but soon. there was a moment. Yeah. But, but, you know, there was a, a moment when, you know, Chadwick was the go-to um, for a lot of the uh, black biopics um, from get on up and Jackie Robinson. And uh, he also, uh, he was Thurgood Marshall in the movie Marshall. Oh, shoot, so, like, yeah. You know, there, you know, those are, those are some big films um, that I assume with his, uh, with the success that he had with Black Panther became bigger films. Um, and he was very, uh, it would have been very easy for him to just come out and say, Hey, I've got colon cancer. Everybody worry about me. Uh, and he didn't, and he kept it hidden. Um, and it, just the fact that it happened yeah. uh, is, is devastating, but they're not going to be able to find another person like him. And, you know, it's time that you celebrate his life instead of mourning it. Oh, for sure. Definitely. Like he has such a screen presence. The interesting thing to me was when I watched uh, Captain America Civil War, the title characters are Captain America and Iron Man, but the character that made the biggest impression on me was Black Panther. Oh, Every yeah. bit of his screen time, like I was compelled from moment one and his journey was almost the most interesting part of that movie to me. And what an icon. I think like a hundred years from now, I don't know what storytelling media is going to be like, but when you say Black Panther, we're all going to picture his face. People will be making art that looks like this character and he is going to live on. Something that's been one of the hardest things for me, and hopefully I can talk about it here without getting emotional, is seeing kids respond mm -hmm. to the death of Black Panther and just how hard that is, but also touching to see how much this character means to kids and these kids are going to be the ones who keep him alive like do i wish we had more black panther movies yes but i'm so thankful that we had what we have of him and that character that legend is just going to live on like it's not going away people the marvel cinematic universe will be a part of storytelling for a long time and he's going to have a place in that as black panther so i hope he realizes just how appreciated iconic he was in that um, he gave really a gift to um, community and film fans and that that's just going to keep on going. That does not stop now. That light keeps shining. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A nice piece you wrote in uh, on the blog. Terrific that, piece. That was Thank just you. awesome, yeah, so actually. Network blog. Thank you. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> you know, over the course of the weekend, um, the I think one of the most startling and eye-opening um, moments for me was when a friend of mine and I can't remember I wish I tried to look it up and I I wanted to give credit where credit's due so forgive me if you're listening to this and I and I, I can't remember who you are but uh, they said that they told their young six-year-old that uh, Black Panther had died and his first reaction was was he shot wow Ooh, and that's wow. that's the reality that's the reality we are living in and that's why actors and 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 dare i say heroes like uh cheswick are so important uh now um the fact that he had uh struggled silently 
over the the course of his high, like reaching his highest level of career uh juggling not just the movies themselves but all the fame and everything that goes with it um without letting anybody know is astounding and a true testament to his strength as a person and and the real reason i think that we don't question why he was perfectly cast as sachala why he was perfectly cast as uh jackie robinson i mean if anybody's going to understand those characters those and and one's fictional one's based in real life um it's a man like him and that's why it's going to be you know as you pointed out uh, that's why it's going to be difficult next to impossible to find somebody who has that sort of you know uh um experience and charisma uh to be able to pull that off so um yeah it is and, and and he had his whole future ahead. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Uh, I mean, you know, a lot of times we say gone too soon, but in this case, damn it, it, it's so true. I would, this is one of those actors that an Oscar would have been in their future at some point. Oh, Absolutely. of course. No there doubt. There's no doubt on that one. Plural. Uh, yeah, very much so. Very much so. So it's it's tough to see. And, you know, I've, or, you know, people have already been saying, you know, who could replace him. And, you know, it's like, don't go there yet. Don't go there yet. Let's wait a couple of weeks at least, you know, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, this is Disney, you know, they, you know, out with one in with another basically. So hopefully they won't do that right yet. And I know they, something will happen, but you know, let's not think about that right now. And we're going to miss a great man. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, you know, the whole industry's on pause. Mm-hmm. So they, it gives them a moment to breathe and, and try to figure out the next mm-hmm. step. So, you know, rest in peace. You know, we definitely would love to hear what you guys think at home. You know, give us your thoughts also. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com. You know, just, you know, let us know what your thoughts on this were. You know, we'd love to hear your memories and such or meaning for you know what did he bring to you you know what did he you know and such and happiness you know if he brought joy to your life please you know let's talk about that there's a lot of good here you know and he did a lot of good and as we like to say as always Spencer, you know as you know Damn right absolutely so you know it sucks and it's taken a lot from a lot of people and i just I can't stand that part and that affects all of us. Some, everyone here has, you know, experienced it somewhere down the line and, you know, kind of sucks. All right. And get a colonoscopy. Yes, please. You know, and this, this guy was in his forties. Most people wait till they're 50, you know, when they're to their doctors, well, I mean, that's, that's standard yeah. right now, especially for men. Yeah. But if you have a history of it in your family uh, you know, if, or anything like that, talk to your doctor, let them see, you know, and, you know, colonoscopy isn't so bad, you know, you sleep, it's good, you feel sore, you'll be okay, <laughs> you know, it'll be okay. The, 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 the prep is a nightmare, but you'll yeah, be okay. It's like, you'll just feel pooped after it, it's okay. <laughs> it's cool. But with that being said, I want to thank. Wow, I'm usually the one with the puns. I know, I know, but you know, hey, at least I didn't say I was all pooped out, so it's cool. 
<laughs> so there we go. Let's thank everyone for being here. Rob, you made it through your first one, my friend. Thank you for having me, folks. I had a great time. It was awesome to have you, sir. Alex, thank you so much. Hey, it's my pleasure and be excellent to each other. Exactly. <laughs> Ashley, thank you. Oh, thank you. Always a pleasure. Hopefully you'll like next week's movies better, so it'll be okay. Yes, I'm I'm really excited about next week, even though it's a darker theme. But <laughs> yes. And Mr. Mike Gordon. As always, it's my pleasure. Party on, Oh, Mike. party on, Mr. Mike. I appreciate it. And of course, be good to each other. Be excellent. And of course, party on, dudes! <laughs> So until next week, we will see you. My name's Mike Faber. Peace. And we're done. You've been listening to the Air Station One podcast, a show by fans for fans. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe to our show up on iTunes or wherever fine podcasts are found. While you're up there, please rate us and remember to leave feedback. It would greatly be appreciated. And remember to tell your friends all about us while you're at it. Station One is available on most social media sites where you can join some really great topics or chats. Help support our show by shopping through our Amazon.com link or purchasing very cool ESO Network clothing and merchandise at our Tee Public store. Links to both are found on the top of our ESO Network webpage. Become a patron of the ESO Network by backing us up on Patreon for as little as 25 cents a week. Go to patreon.com slash ESO Network to sign up. We want to hear from you. Please write us at earthstation1 at esonetwork.com or call us at 404-963-9057. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time here on the Earth Station One podcast. Peace, and we're done. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.